You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. We can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Today I'll be reading Cakepocalypse, chapters 7 and 8, written by Mittenwraith. The rating is mature. Pertinent tags for this fic include Alternate Universe Canon Divergence Friends to Lovers Love Confessions Cake Angst and fluff and smut, but mostly fluff with a dash of crack. Chapter 7. Screwball. Saturday was rough. Charlie and Donna berated Dean half the morning for turning down the chance to get a sneak peek of the show no matter how exhausted he'd been, and no matter how disgusting his apartment and his laundry situation had become. When the final details went on to the last tray of personalized wedding cookies and it came time to make delivery runs, Donna grabbed the keys out of his hand and sent him home with a stern order. Go run your errands, and then you get yourself home and let yourself relax. Have a bubble bath and don't worry about a thing. You just rest up so you can look pretty for the cameras tomorrow. Yeah, boss man, Charlie cut him off when he was about to protest. You're literally the face of the company. Gotta uphold brand standards. She patted him on the cheek as Donna pushed him out of the door. The rest of the day went on in a disappointing whirl of adulting. On the upside, his occasional texts with Cass became a running commentary on their equally dull afternoons. By the time Dean was getting ready for bed, he realized he probably should have just invited Cass over anyway. He fell asleep to the strange feeling that he was somehow in the wrong bed, in the wrong apartment, somehow in the wrong life entirely. That feeling carried through when he woke up, unsurprisingly an hour before his alarm, but still an hour later than he usually got up for work. He dragged himself out of bed anyway and trudged off to the bathroom, turning on the shower and letting it steam up. He stared into the fogging mirror, feeling profoundly, uncomfortably detached as his reflection blurred and faded from view. Trembling, he ran a hand down the glass to assure himself he was still there and then jumped into the shower before he could disappear again. The water was almost too hot, but he found himself shivering intermittently as if someone had hit him with an occasional bucket of ice water every time he recalled another snippet of one of the troubling dreams that had been plaguing him more and more frequently. He still felt like he should be able to remember them, as if they were important in a way he didn't understand right now, but that would be obvious if he could just hold on to them. Like the strange fits of angst he'd been periodically seized with over the last few weeks, the dream seemed to confirm that there was something unsettlingly urgent that he needed to remember. For whatever reason, the intense feeling passed just as quickly as it had arrived, and he was once again left feeling adrift and confused. By the time he got out of the shower, dressed, and made himself a decent breakfast, he barely had enough time to drive to the studio for his 9 a.m. call time. He sat in the car for a moment, waiting to see if his brain was going to attempt to betray him again. When nothing out of the ordinary happened for a full 30 seconds, he collected the day's bakery offering for the craft services table and headed into the building. Krasukis, he informed Cass, holding up the boxes when they met in the lobby. 
Cass frowned at the boxes and then turned his look of confusion on Dean, who laughed and lifted the lid of the top box to demonstrate. Croissant cookies. I got chocolate cream, chocolate chip, and pecan shortbread. He held up the box closer to Cass as his confusion turned to interest. Go on, have one. Thank you, Dean, he said, selecting one with an Oreo cookie stuck to it. You know, you don't have to bribe the crew with delicious treats. They all already adore you. Dean grinned at that and shrugged. They love me because I bribed them with delicious treats. Cass gave him the look that comment deserved, but didn't comment further as he held open the studio door for Dean, and they both fell into the now comfortable routine of preparing for the day's show. Dean had already been through makeup and pulled on his starched chef's coat. He was loitering around the judges' table, chatting with Cass and Gabriel about Krasukis, when a man dressed all in white strolled into the studio like he owned the place. Good morning, Webflix minions, he announced with his hands raised as if he were offering benediction to anyone lucky enough to be graced with his presence. Who does he think he is? Dean muttered out of the side of his mouth to Gabriel. The ghost of Colonel Sanders? Gabriel snorted but shook his head, looking to Cass for answers. Cass sighed heavily and informed them that this was the day's guest judge. Dean and Gabriel both frowned at Cass and then at one another. I thought today's guest was Donatello Redfield. Dean asked Gabriel, who raised his eyes and shrugged. So did I. Cass corralled the man in the suit and brought him over to the judge's table for introductions. I neglected to mention that I got a call from Donatello about an hour ago. He's not going to be able to make it today, but his business partner kindly agreed to take his place so it wouldn't affect the shooting schedule. Gabriel, Dean, this is Carl Asmodeus. The man leaned against the desk and grinned at Dean and Gabe, as if he were trying to decide which of his eleven herbs and spices would give them just the right seasoning. While Dean was torn between making chicken jokes and just sitting there paralyzed by a pang of entirely unfounded fear. He compromised by nodding dumbly, as the man, Asmodeus, gave him a saucy wink and then wandered off to make up. Dean shuddered and made a little noise of revulsion, and then Gabriel laughed. It wasn't a happy laugh, more like something tinged with expectant menace. Dean wondered what heinous plan Gabriel was concocting to send the man running back to Bennett Manor with his tail between his legs. For a dude dressed all in white, he gives off some fucking dark vibes, Dean said. Just try to get along with him. Cass ordered them both while wearing a deep frown of disgust. We're either stuck with him for today, or we'll have to scrub the entire episode. We don't have the budget to reschedule the entire crew and pay another guest judge. If it helps, Donatello didn't seem particularly happy with the change in scheduling either. I believe Asmodeus may have manipulated him into the arrangement. We'll survive, Cass, Gabriel assured him, looking more grimly serious than Dean had ever seen him. You can't fault us for playing a little defense and maybe taking a little shine off his snazzy white shoes. Just don't do anything he could sue us for, Cass urged. The day didn't improve from there. For some reason, all three of today's contestants seemed to know one another already. They'd challenged each other to prove definitively which of them was the best and the worst baker of the three of them. Their squabbling rivalry had been compelling enough in their application video that Cass's boss had insisted that they needed at least one episode with a more antagonistic flair. Mick, Tony, and Ketch definitely fit that bill. And with Asmodeus along for the ride on this one, Dean was sure the antagonism would spill across both sides of the judges' table. He hadn't been wrong. The first challenge of the day saw the contestants physically wrestling one another to get to their assigned pastries. Dean and Gabriel stood back and watched, mortified, as they fought to collect three large cookies decorated with their own portraits. Gabriel had given them the order to begin by announcing, "'Go bake your faces!' Dean had been horrified at the level of amusement that Asmodeus seemed to derive from watching the contestants hurl verbal barbs at one another throughout round one. He and Gabriel quickly learned that their guest chef wasn't a chef at all and merely bankrolled Donatello's bakery. 
He didn't even have any particularly useful advice or commentary to offer, but he sure did seem to enjoy sitting there lording it over the entire set. Gabriel and Dean's commentary grew steadily more pointed as they witnessed one of the worst baking atrocities either of them had ever had the displeasure to set eyes on. When Jody called time, Mick was coughing and waving away a cloud of smoke with a dish towel. Tony had somehow managed to cover both of her hands with red icing that dripped down to turn her cookie into the cold open of a cop drama. While Ketch won by default for managing to actually produce a cookie with something recognizable as a human face painted on it. The fact that none of them looked edible, let alone inviting, concerned everyone about the impending disaster round two was sure to be. Everyone except Asmodeus, who found the entire proceeding quaint. When they broke for lunch, Gabriel followed Dean and Cass out of the studio just to get away from Asmodeus, who was standing around delightedly telling everyone who would listen some pretty grim stories about some of the businesses he owned, none of which sounded even remotely as wholesome as a fast-food chicken joint. Gabriel sat quietly and contentedly eating a sandwich while leaning against a filing cabinet in Cass's office, cheerfully watching Dean and Cass talk as if they'd forgotten he was even in the room with them. Dean related one of his strange dreams that it involved a contestant from the previous weekend, Naomi. He couldn't remember the majority of the dream, aside from the fact that she'd calmly attacked him with an egg beater. That's not normal, is it? Dean asked, finishing off his potato chips. Dreams aren't typically known for seeming logical once you've awakened from them, Cass replied thoughtfully. Dean snorted. Yeah, so what's it mean? I mean, I woke up in a cold fucking sweat at three in the morning just because some chick was threatening to scramble my eggs. Gabriel laughed at that, and then laughed again when Dean and Cass both startled. Probably means you should have ordered your eggs over easy instead. Come on, we've got three more hours to hang around with Mr. Fancy Pants out there, and then we're free of him forever. If I don't set him on fire before then, Dean grumbled under his breath as they returned to the studio. The entire studio fell silent when Asmodeus revealed the second round challenge cake. He stood there completely silent, grinning at everyone as he opened the cupboard on the most on-the-nose cake that had ever been witnessed in the history of mankind. It was an entire KFC bucket of chicken with all the fixins, in cake form. Chicken? Dean said, confused for a moment, and then Gabriel broke out laughing so hard they had to call Cut to wait for him to recover. Half the crew were laughing along with him but the three contestants were entirely unamused. They used the extra time to strategize, each of them appearing to be pondering how to backstab the other two most effectively with a plastic spork. Through it all, Asmodeus gritted his teeth together and muttered something about getting even with Donatello for this, and Dean was honestly worried for the man he'd never even met. Dean and Gabriel knew this was going to be a trompe challenge from the schedule Cass had sent them days ago, but everyone had been expecting the cakes involved to resemble sushi, as per Donatello's original arrangement with Cass, and not a big greasy bucket of fried chicken. But this was what was in the box that Donatello had sent with his business partner, so that's what the crew had set up. It was too late to do anything about it, so Gabriel instructed the three contestants to get baking, despite Asmodeus's fuming. This is going to be a tricky challenge. Dean said as they watched the bakers scramble around the pantry, sizing up their options. It's always difficult to duplicate a real thing in pastry, but duplicating other foods is one of the hardest. Making sweet fondant look like savory fried chicken is harder than it looks. I'm looking forward to the edible bucket myself, Gabriel replied with a grin as Ketch, trying to wrangle four pans full of batter on his way to the oven, wailed as one of his pans slid off the stack and landed on the floor with a squelching clatter. Loves me some bucket. Asmodeus was still feeling too affronted to even make a show of trying to participate in the discussion. He grew more and more withdrawn and hostile as the challenge wore on. Even Gabriel and Dean were deliberately trying to include him by the end of the challenge, but the guy simply refused to lighten up. With about 40 minutes left in the round, in a fit of abject frustration with the deep fryer she'd been attempting to use to recreate french fries out of funnel cake batter, Tony finally relented and mashed her panic button. 
It gave her five minutes of expert assistance from one of the judges. Dean had been taking a short break to grab some coffee and hang out with Cass for a minute, and he heaved a sigh and shot Cass an apologetic look as he prepared to head over to help. Seeing as he was the only legitimately qualified person on the judges' panel to even offer the contestants any advice. Before he could turn to walk away, Cass grabbed his elbow and watched in horror as Asmodeus stood up from the desk, cleared his throat, and blithely strolled towards Tony. I do believe I have been summoned, he said to her with a look that could freeze salt water. What are you trying to do, little lady? I've never used a deep fryer before, Tony replied. Cass still hadn't let go of Dean's elbow, but both of them edged just a little closer to the set. Dean could already tell this was going to be a shit show. He might know how to dress like a fried chicken baron, but Dean was sure Asmodeus didn't know the first thing about deep frying anything. Well, let's see here. What do you need to fry? Tony held up the bowl of thick batter and the funnel she'd planned to use to shape it into fries. Asmodeus ignored the funnel entirely, grabbed the bowl, and dumped the entire thing into the sizzling oil. Dean watched in horror as flames chewed their way from the oil up the stream of gooey batter and caught the pristine white cuff of Asmodeus's fancy suit on fire. He shrieked and dropped the bowl, splashing flaming oil over the counter. He grabbed the closest thing to hand, a large pitcher of ice water that Tony had set aside for mixing her icing with, and threw it at the flames. Dean and Cass both raced onto the set as Patience and Jack ran in from the opposite wings with fire extinguishers. Dean tackled Tony to the ground as a huge gout of flames erupted from the fryer, followed by a cloud of blistering steam laced with droplets of boiling hot oil. Cass smothered the still-screeching Asmodeus in a fire blanket, as Jack and Patience calmly extinguished the counter and floor. The entire crew stood aghast, watching the horror unfold. Well, everyone but Jody, who was already on the phone with 911 awaiting an ambulance for Asmodeus, and Gabriel, who sat smugly at the judge's table with a satisfied look on his face. Once the ambulance crew carted Asmodeus away and some minor repairs had been carried out to Tony's workstation— Filming reconvened with Cass now occupying the third judge's chair. The day improved exponentially after that. Gabriel was delighted with himself, that he hadn't needed to lift a finger to cause so much mayhem. Dean was delighted to get to spend the next hour talking and joking with Cass without having to sneak off set for covert coffee breaks. And Cass was delighted that there was no longer an imbecile who didn't know better than to throw water on a grease fire on his precious set. The final hour of filming proved to be one of the most entertaining and hilarious that Dean had spent on set yet, and he didn't doubt that Cass's editors would be hard-pressed to edit the day's show down to just half an hour, not even including all the fire-related drama. Tony's cake hadn't suffered much from the lack of fries, and was easily the best-tasting of the three. Ketch had made the bizarre choice to crumble spicy cheese girls to create the fried chicken texture, and none of the judges nor anyone else in the studio had even been willing to taste that bizarre flavor combination. Mixed cake had an uncanny likeness of Asmodeus painted on the side of the bucket in place of Colonel Sanders, and as a result, Gabriel decided that Mick would be crowned their champion. Jack, hiding behind the judges' table, raised the trophy up with one hand until Gabriel grabbed it from him and presented it to Mick. In all the hubbub, Cass had forgotten that one of the guest judge's duties was to fire off the money gun, until Dean covertly slid it across the table with a raised eye and a knowing nod. You mean, I... Cass started. You know you want to, Cass. He stood there for a moment, unsure, and then a huge grin bloomed across his face. You're absolutely right. I do. Dean stuck around after filming to assess the damage done to Tony's kitchen. He and Claire discussed the repairs that would need to be made before the following morning's shoot as the rest of the crew bustled around cleaning up the mess. One countertop needed to be replaced, a few floor tiles, and the fryer itself needed to be cleaned out and inspected to make sure it would be safe to use again. By the time they'd worked out all the details, Cass was making his way over to them. Claire, 
he said, nodding at her, before turning to Dean and holding up a DVD. I know it's later than we'd planned, but I'm still up for dinner and a movie. Ooh, am I witnessing the first bloom of romance here? Claire asked, suddenly far more interested in them than in prying up the damaged section of countertop. Yeah, real romantic. Watching that chick from last weekend have a breakdown over heart cupcakes, Dean replied, rolling his eyes. He unrolled them just in time to catch Cass frowning at him, and instantly felt bad for being so flippant with Claire. He barely even knew her, and yet he'd felt compelled to cover the fact that he and Cass had been growing closer over the last few weeks. It was as if the words had come out of someone else's mouth, with someone else's baggage attached to them. And he'd inadvertently hurled all that baggage directly at Cass. Shit. He had to fix this. I was going to make dinner for us and Cass was going to show me the first episode, he said to Claire as a smile blossomed across her face. He turned to Cass and made sure to look at him in the eye so he could attempt to telepathically convey his apologies for being so terse about their dinner. It's definitely not too late. Are you ready to head out? Cass looked slightly relieved, but still more distant than he'd been all afternoon, like he was suddenly less sure of himself. Still, he pulled himself together and nodded. Yes, Dean, I'm ready when you are. Claire shot Dean in an apologetic look for teasing him and bade them both a good night before getting back to her work. Dean and Cass left side by side, with just a little more distance between them than Dean would have wanted. Sure, he'd thought that there was something more growing between him and Cass, but neither of them had said anything directly. It had shaken him a bit to have someone else jokingly point out just how obvious their developing attraction was. Maybe it was something he and Cass needed to talk about, but it would have to wait as they got into their separate cars and Cass followed Dean home. Cass had thought things were understood between them. Well, to be honest with himself, he wasn't sure that he understood what had been developing between him and Dean. He'd only known it felt good and right, if not precisely easy. But the fact he'd had to work so hard to get to know Dean had made each new discovery and every conversation with the man a revelation. The more he learned about Dean, the more he wanted to know. Cass couldn't remember ever feeling that way about anyone else, and the thought kind of terrified him as much as it exhilarated him. He followed Dean to a little apartment building near the beach, and then up to Dean's second-floor apartment. It was small, but cozy and inviting. He almost felt like an intruder entering Dean's personal domain, but Dean welcomed him in warmly as he kicked off his own boots by the front door. "'Make yourself at home,' Dean said, strolling off toward the kitchen to turn on the oven. I wasn't sure how late we'd be getting started, so I took the liberty of preparing everything last night. Cass watched as Dean pulled a foil-covered pan out of the fridge and stuck it in the oven, hovering in the doorway as Dean bent down and then stood up again. As he shut the oven door, Cass caught a glimpse of what looked like the most decadent macaroni and cheese he'd ever seen. Covered with a blend of cheeses and mixed throughout with what looked like crisp bacon, he wasn't sure which he'd rather stare at, Dean bending over, or the dish in the oven. Can I get you a beer? Dean asked, turning around, catching the hungry look on his face. Or something else? Cass cleared his throat. Uh, beer would be nice. Thanks. While dinner was in the oven, they retired to the living room to watch the episode. Cass assured Dean that it was just over a half an hour long. That gave them just enough time to watch the episode before the food would be ready. Dean watched, mesmerized by how what he remembered as a very long day had been reduced to a solid half an hour of pure entertainment. At least that's what he kept telling Cass. Cass mostly spent the time watching Dean, at first just to gauge his reaction to the show, 
but as the tension between them slowly ebbed away again, he found himself content just to watch Dean, period. When the episode ended, Dean got up to check on dinner and returned with two plates filled with a portion of his mac and cheese in addition to a colorful salad. Cass had raised an eyebrow as Dean returned to the kitchen to grab a couple more beers. What? Don't judge me, Dean replied, sitting back down on the sofa and handing Cass one of the bottles. Man can't live on cheese and bacon alone. As they ate, conversation turned from the show and toward more personal subjects again, and Cass was relieved that Dean didn't attempt to steer them back toward safer topics. He still didn't bring up Claire's comment about their apparent relationship status, but by the time he left several hours later, he was at least reassured that Dean wasn't uncomfortable with the notion that, for all intents and purposes, this had felt very much like a date. They both hesitated in the doorway as Cass left, before Dean reached out and pulled Cass into a slightly awkward, but nevertheless warm embrace, before flushing a lovely shade of pink and stuttering out a flustered, see you tomorrow. Cass drove all the way home, feeling lighter than he could remember, as if he could have flown. Chapter 8. Substitutions Dean was up early the next morning and didn't even fight the urge to get out of bed. His dreams were growing increasingly bizarre and unsettling. At least a few of them now featured Cass's comforting presence, but for the most part he was left feeling like the dreams had been more like glimpses into another world, just as real as his own, but a hell of a lot darker. There were monsters and demons and fire. Dean grumbled all the way to the bathroom, blaming that idiot Asmodeus for giving his imagination such rich fodder for nightmares. He needed to shake off that feeling and ground himself in reality, so he headed off to the bakery to help out for an hour before he needed to be on set. Donna and Charlie were surprised to see him, but put him to work piping out macaron shells onto a long row of baking sheets. Charlie had to remind him when it was time for him to head out. He'd become so absorbed in crafting perfectly uniform batter discs that he'd lost all track of time. It had been a mindless task to stop him from dwelling on that dream world where he and Cass had been hunting for monsters together. Donna presented him with a large box of macarons spring to the studio, and then sent him on his way with a pat on the cheek and a reminder to smile pretty for the camera. Dean had half expected to run into Cass on his way through the building to the studio, but he didn't spot Cass anywhere amid the bustle of getting the last of the kitchen repairs finished while the rest of the shorthanded crew scrambled to get everything else set up for the day's filming. He held on to his precious box of goodies, wanting Cass to at least get first dibs at the fresh cookies before the rest of the crew devoured them. He'd only had to wait a minute or two, offering Claire and Kaya compliments on their work, before Gabriel and Cass stormed into the studio. He felt the smile melt off his face when he began to piece their loud and antagonistic conversation together. You had no right to do this, Gabriel. It's highly inappropriate. Gabriel smirked and gave a rather condescending pat on his shoulder. It's going to be fine. You just have to trust me. Trust you, Cass bellowed. At the very least, you should have consulted with Dean before arranging this entirely behind his back. Dean frowned at that and cautiously made his way over to the arguing men. What did he do behind my back now? Cass startled at the sound of Dean's voice and cast one last black and stormy look at his cousin before turning his back on the other man to give Dean his full attention. Gabriel took it upon himself to arrange today's slate of contestants, without my knowledge. Dean shrugged. Okay, I don't have a problem with that. Gabriel grinned at him, but left Cass to deliver the blow. Today's contestants are your family members, Dean. Your brother, your mother, and your stepfather. Dean let that sink in for a minute and shook his head in slowly dawning horror. Sammy? Mom? And Bobby? What the hell, Gabriel? 
In my defense, Gabriel replied, entirely unperturbed. The three of them are adults fully capable of making their own choices. I mentioned the idea to Sam when he was here last weekend, and he thought it would be hilarious. He wanted to surprise you when they showed up today. For some reason, the Gigantor thought you'd be amused. Dean stared at Gabriel, unsure how to react. Cass glared, arms folded across his chest, waiting for Gabriel to offer any sort of apology at all. Whether or not Dean is amused by this little stunt, the casting department had three other contestants lined up for today's show that will now have legitimate complaint to file against us. Relax, Cass, Gabriel replied. It's all taken care of. I explained there'd been a scheduling mix-up and sent them each 500 bucks out of my own pocket as an apology. None of them are going to complain. Cass stared him down for another few seconds, but Gabriel would not be budged even by Cass's most intense glower. He finally sighed and shook his head. I hope not, but if they do, I'm sending them directly to you to deal with. Gabriel gave a little mock salute and then strolled off to chat with Claire and Kaya. Cass turned to Dean, deeply apologetic, but before he could say a word, Dean opened the box of macarons and silently offered one to Cass. He looked both relieved and inordinately pleased by the brightly colored selection of cookies and happily chose a green one before smiling up at Dean. Hello, Dean. Hey, Cass. Dean started, but then shook his head and started over, pointing at the cookie in Cass's hand. That's pistachio, by the way. Cass glanced down at it, but Dean kept right on talking. I guess Sam knows full well what he was signing up for after last Sunday. So if my family really wants to do this, I'm not going to fight him on it. It's practically impossible to tell my mom what to do anyway. Well, I'm certainly relieved to hear it, because they're due to arrive any minute. I didn't think it was fair to spring that on you without any advance warning, even if Gabriel and Sam thought it would be amusing. Dean just shrugged. Shit like that happens all the time in my family. You get used to it. It turned out that Gabriel had arranged for Sam to record their application video, and as it aired just after filming began, Dean felt both touched by his family's words and proud of them all for being willing to put themselves on national television to prove that Dean's skills in the kitchen were in no way an inborn genetic talent. On the video, Mary said without any hint of embarrassment that she knew next to nothing about baking. She never bothered to learn, because Dean had always been perfectly happy with the dessert selection at the Piggly Wiggly. From Gabriel's other side, the dazed guest judge snorted a laugh, her eyes twinkling as she turned a bemused gaze on Dean. Well, that's just precious, Dino, Meg said, while Dean grumbled and kept his eyes on the monitor. Sam and Bobby had their turns, both confessing that they'd never baked anything more advanced than refrigerated cookie dough and box-mixed brownies. The next thing Dean knew, his family was strolling determinedly into the studio. They may not have had a clue what they were doing, but damn if they wouldn't do their best to kick it in the ass anyway. Dean couldn't help the grin that overtook his face as they introduced themselves for the camera. This is going to be so much fun, Meg muttered to Dean as Gabriel led them all to the first challenge cupboard. Like a little family vacation. Dean frowned at her as she glided over to open the doors to reveal their first challenge. In addition to three artfully designed cupcakes, there were three equally artfully designed drinks. For a second, Dean wondered why the drinks were a part of a baking challenge, but Meg revealed all to his eternal consternation. She was grinning now, but she was in no way prepared for any gathering of Winchesters that involved alcohol or kitchens or any combination thereof. We're sending you on an all-expense-paid getaway to your very own tropical paradise, in alcoholic cupcake form. Sex on the beach, tequila sunrise, and Mai Tai cupcakes, along with their namesake drinks. That's right, Dean's loved ones, Gabriel added. You'll have to make the drink and the cupcake. And since this is a competition and not a vacation, you've got an hour. They leapt into action. Sam held back to let Mary and Bobby go first. 
whether out of deference to his parental figures or because he just wasn't sure which cupcake to pick for himself. Mary went straight to the tequila sunrise, and Bobby snagged the Mai Tai. Sam grumbled and shuffled off, muttering about not wanting to talk about sex on beaches with his mom in the room. In a pleasantly surprising turn of events, Dean's family were not only quick studies in the kitchen, their banter back and forth nearly left Dean without any additional commentary of his own to add. Instead, when Gabriel raided the liquor cabinet, they took turns mixing up their own tropical cocktails just for the hell of it. So far, Meg still seemed to be enjoying herself, and to Dean's relief had reserved her snarkiest critique for their experimental creations and largely refrained from commenting on the progress in the kitchens. Cupcakes went into ovens within ten minutes, which left them plenty of time for Mary, Bobby, and Sam to plan out their decorations and drinks. Interesting choice Sam's making for using crumbled graham crackers for the beach sand, Meg commented to Dean. I would have gone with sugar cookies myself. In fact, I did go with sugar cookies. Yeah, well, he's got to be a moose by eating healthy, I guess, Dean replied. Meg smirked at him and took another sip of the spiced rum drink Gabriel had dubbed a low tide, as Sam then tried to pipe a few decorative seashells out of gooey icing before cursing at the mess and running back to the pantry to see if it offered him any better solutions. I guess I can see why you call him Moose now. Dean snorted, watching Bobby form delicate flower petals out of red chocolate melts. He was impressed the old man had such a steady hand, but Bobby had always been one for details. The few times he'd actually cooked anything for Dean, though, it had always come out of a can or a microwave, and not for the first time, Dean felt like he didn't know his new stepfather at all. Mary carefully sculpted the tiny flip-flops, palm trees, and the bucket of drinks from fondant. But the trees were top-heavy, and she struggled to make them stand upright. She gave up in frustration when the oven timer dinged, and she raced from the oven straight to the blast chiller to cool off the cupcakes. Your mom knows what the deal is, even if her entire baking experience is confined to watching you bake for her, Meg said, for the first time actually sounding impressed about anything aside from Cass. Dean had frowned when he'd seen her talking flirtatiously with Cass right before filming had begun, but he hadn't been able to hear what they were discussing. Cass had seemed mildly amused by her, and Dean had suffered through an intense and yet entirely unjustified pang of jealousy. Of course Cass was being polite to their guest judge. He hadn't behaved any differently with Meg than he had with any of their other guest judges. Then again, Cass had been a bit short with Benny toward the end of the day, but that was probably because it had been an arduous day by that point. Dean was sure it had been nothing, and tried to convince himself he was being ridiculous. He turned to focus back to his family, now struggling to mix their coordinating drinks. If there was one thing Sam could do blindfolded, it was follow directions. Dean at least expected that he could duplicate a recipe well enough to produce an edible result, even if his technique might have been a bit lacking. But it was nigh on impossible for him to completely fuck up alcohol, so Dean watched bemused as Sam struggled to carefully perch an orange wedge and a tiny paper umbrella on the rim of the glass. Mary was doing the same with her tequila sunrise, adding a cherry and a tiny plastic sun affixed to a toothpick in lieu of the umbrella. Dean asked Gabriel where it had come from. He hadn't remembered seeing any plastic decorations in the pantry, but Gabriel just shrugged and then drew Dean's attention to Bobby. He was hunched over the countertop, carefully cutting a lime peel into a delicate little curl and tacking it to a pineapple wedge with a tiny plastic sword. Dean could only watch in utter bemusement, until that moment, he hadn't known Bobby had a single frou-frou bone in his entire body, but this was absolutely the proof. The man had met his mother a few years back, and despite their very different backgrounds, they'd hit it off. It had come as a surprise to Dean that Mary would want to get married again, but they made each other happy, and Dean couldn't ask for anything more for his mom. That didn't mean the two of them couldn't be vicious competitors, though and Dean was both looking forward to and dreading the judging. Mary was still fiddling with her droopy palm trees when Jody's timer buzzed, and she was forced to surrender her efforts. Jody called for the standard five-minute break to set up for judging, 
and Dean was torn between his usual trip to visit Cass and checking in on his family. He gave Cass a nod, picking up his latest drink creation and waving a hand vaguely towards the kitchens. Cass grinned at him, acknowledging that he didn't think Dean was ignoring him. With that little understanding settled between them, Dean went first to tease his brother. So you survived an hour of sex on the beach knowing Mom was just on the other side of the wall there. Was it good for you? Sam gave Dean an exasperated frown and wiped the sweat from his brow as he proceeded to ignore Dean's teasing. I'm pretty sure you won't die from eating it, at least. Really, though, Dean said more seriously. Are you having as good a time as you thought when you schemed your way onto my show? I didn't scheme, Dean. Gabriel and I got to talking, and he thought it would make for a fun episode. He said the show was about proving the fact that this sort of baking isn't just something anyone can do from reading an internet recipe and watching a couple of videos. What better way to prove that than have your whole family demonstrate that fact? Dean thought about it that way for a second, and then grunted. So the three of you decided you wouldn't mind looking like idiots on national television? No, Dean, we're not. We're doing great. But we're doing great for normal people who aren't professional bakers. That's the whole point. You don't love us any less if we make a crappy cake because it's done with love. And we don't love you any less if we don't have the skill to bake something you could sell in your shop. And we're all grown-ups enough to see that. And let me tell you, it's giving me a whole new appreciation for what you do, man. I had to make one dumb cupcake in an hour, and you fill up a whole bakery and cater a dozen weddings and parties every week like it's nothing. It's fucking impressive, Dean. Own it, okay? Dean blinked at his brother for a minute, but Sammy just stared him down. Okay, Sammy. Thanks. He'd fully intended to check in with Mary and Bobby, but he had to settle for giving them a thumbs up from across the studio when he realized it was about time to start the judging. He could wait a few more minutes to visit with them during their longer lunch break. As he hurried back to the judges' table, he caught a glimpse of Cass over by the coffee pot talking to Meg again. Dean stood beside his chair, frowning at the spectacle of Meg standing all the way up in Cass's personal space. For his part, Cass didn't seem to mind, and then laughed at something she'd said. Yo, Dean, if you're not careful, your face is going to freeze that way, Gabriel said from his chair beside Dean's. Dean glanced down to find that Gabriel wasn't even looking at him, but was sitting with his arms folded across his chest and giving Cass the stink eye. He didn't have time to puzzle that out before Jody was calling everyone to their places. He watched Meg lean in close to whisper something to Cass, which left him flushed before sashaying back to her seat and smiling with satisfaction. Dean glared at her, then glanced up to see Cass looking extremely flustered before walking off into the shadows at the edge of the studio. As much as he wanted to rush after Cass to make sure everything was okay, Dean was required to sit there and smile at his family as they served him their dubious baked goods. At least there would be more alcohol. Sam was up first and delivered his slightly melted cupcake and meticulously decorated drink to Gabriel with a hopeful expression. He then stood there like a puppy waiting for his reward. Not bad, Moose, Meg said before Dean had a chance to get the first poke in. The shoreline looks a little choppy. I think there's a riptide out there in the water, she added, pointing to where some of the blue frosting had begun to slide off the cupcake. The drink looks fabulous, though, Gabriel said, picking it up and taking a sip. Mmm, yep, that's good sex right there. Sam practically choked and cast an apologetic glance back at Mary, who was politely trying to hide a laugh behind her hand. But is it an edible beach? Dean asked, taking a fork to the cupcake. Meg and Gabriel both came in to steal a bite as well, while Dean chewed thoughtfully, letting his face clearly display the journey Sam's baking had sent him on. Mary was barely containing her laughter at all now, and Dean sat down his fork to focus a forced, disappointed look on his brother. It tastes great, Sam. You've got just the right hint of peach flavor in the icing, but I think Meg's right. The graham crackers kind of overwhelm the other flavors. Sugar cookies next time, Meg said, shooting Sam a confidential wink. But the drink is perfect. 
especially after an hour of letting these two idiots play bartender. I have no idea how Gabriel managed it, but he ruined a perfectly good shot of rum. Dean finally got a good sip of the drink and had to agree with Meg and Gabriel. Yeah, I never claimed to be a bartender. I can pour beer or whiskey, but that's about it. Bobby was up next, and he gruffly laid his offering on the table and took a step back, awaiting the verdict. Meg picked at the delicate chocolate flower on top of the cake and took a tiny flake of one of the petals to taste. I usually sweeten the chocolate with orgeat to give it a little more flavor, but I can't really complain with your artistry. That's a damn fine flower. The orgeat's in the icing, Bobby informed her and watched in horror as Gabriel swiped a finger through his painstakingly swirled frosting. Yep, it is, Gabriel confirmed after licking his finger, and went in for another swipe. Dean caught him by the wrist and made a disgusted face. No double dipping, you freak. Bobby sighed and rolled his eyes, walking over to his workstation without a word, and returning with a bowl containing the unused icing and a spoon. He slid it across the table to Gabriel, who grinned up at him gratefully and crammed an entire spoonful in his mouth. Dean made a gagging noise, but left Gabriel to it, and cut a bite of the cupcake that Gabriel hadn't befouled with his finger. Oh, wow, this is awesome, Bobby, he said around a mouthful of rum-soaked cake. He made a grabby-hands gesture at the corresponding drink, which Gabriel took a gulp of before handing it to Dean with a smirk. Dean glared at him as he took a sip as well, and then passed the glass behind Gabriel's back to Meg. Well, the drink's perfect again, she said. I'm docking a point for the plain candy on top of the cupcake, but I'm adding back two for the drink. Agreed, Gabriel replied as Bobby stepped back and Mary stepped forward. Well, it looks like your palm trees had a little too much tequila, Gabriel observed, attempting to make the floppy trees stand up. Yeah, I had no idea how to make them sturdier without making them so fat they looked like coconuts, Mary replied. I probably would have treated them as non-edible and wrapped the fondant around a toothpick, Dean suggested, or even a coffee stirrer or a straw. Meg confirmed that, or even suggested buying little plastic trees, pointing to the cheerful plastic sun sticking out of her drink as an example. Not everything on a cupcake has to be edible. Gabriel took a bite of the cupcake first, and his eyes bugged out. Is there such a thing as tequila goggles for your tongue? Because that tastes like a damn fine tequila cupcake right there. No, I just think you're drunk, Meg replied, but then agreed that it was a pretty good cupcake. The three judges ended up wrestling for the drink until Mary cleared her throat and gave them all the mom look. Sorry, Mom. Dean said, setting the glass he'd won fair and square down in front of him. Gabriel decided it was time to declare a winner, and summoned Jack with his rolling cart of prizes. He grabbed up the sparkly gold chef's hat and looked from Sam to Mary to Bobby, before finally giving in and handing it over to Bobby. It was a nearly impossible choice, but I couldn't bear to hide Sam's glorious mane under that thing, so congrats, Bobby. You've won the first round which means it's time to see what kind of trouble we're in for round two. Jody called cut and announced the usual lunch break. Dean noticed that Meg had already turned her attention in Cass's direction, so he made the executive decision to monopolize Cass for himself. He raced around the judges' table, practically shoving Meg, still in her chair, out of his way, but he didn't worry too much about it when he beat her to Cass's side. Hey, Cass. I thought maybe I could introduce you to my mom, if you've got a minute. Cass snorted out a little laugh, having witnessed Dean's beeline to him like an excited kid. I assumed you would have wanted to take your lunch break with them today, but I'm not otherwise occupied at the moment. Dean heaved a sigh of relief and led Cass over to where Mary, Bobby, and Sam were perusing the lunch offerings at the craft services table. They passed Meg on their way, and Dean wasn't sure whether the smirk she flashed him was incredulous or smug. He quickly forgot about it as they stepped behind Mary, and Dean cleared his throat. "'Hey, Mom, there's someone you should meet,' Dean said, and Mary looked up from the tray of sandwiches. "'Mom, this is Cass. Cassiel. He's the producer and—' 
and he's become a real good friend, too. He felt like kicking himself for that idiotic introduction, but Mary's smile softened as she turned to Cass and set her plate down to give him a quick hug. It didn't escape his notice that Cass had made a little surprised noise and turned to blink at Dean while Mary scooped him up. Any good friend of Dean's is a good friend of ours. Thanks for letting us be a part of this, Castiel. Uh, you're more than welcome, Cass replied, frowning at Dean over Mary's shoulder while Dean shrugged in a just-go-with-it sort of gesture. It's, I'm glad you're enjoying yourselves, but inviting you here, that's all on Gabriel. Mary tilted her head in a little shrug and smiled like she'd already known exactly how they'd wound up on the show, while Sam tried and failed to look innocent and unaware behind her, and Bobby kept his focus on finishing his lunch. Whatever the case, I appreciate it. Yes, well, Cass replied as Dean glanced up at the clock and began hurriedly cramming a sandwich into his mouth. Would you mind terribly if I borrowed Dean for a moment? There's something I need to discuss with him. Dean looked up at him, and Cass looked slightly panicked, jerkily nodding his head toward the studio doors. He frowned slightly as he chewed, but Cass became more insistent, so the moment he'd swallowed, he agreed. As they walked quickly out of the studio, Dean glanced back at his family to make sure they weren't disappointed, only to see Mary striking up a conversation with a rather frustrated-looking Meg. Well, that explained Cass's sudden need to get out of there. In the relative quiet of the hallway, Cass finally spoke. I'm sorry to ask that of you, Dean. I hope your mother won't think poorly of me for dragging you away from them, but I wasn't looking forward to enduring another one of Meg's rather salacious flirtations. Dean stopped walking as Cass continued on a few steps, but then raced to catch up with him. Wait, you weren't flirting with her this morning? Cass turned, his eyebrows all scrunched down together and looked at Dean like he wondered if Dean had had one drink too many. I introduced myself to her when she arrived, and she insisted I go over the shooting schedule with her one more time. I only realized later that she may have been coming on to me, and misinterpreted her intentions. Dean tried to keep himself from laughing when Cass used finger quotes for emphasis, but he felt his heart racing a bit as he laid a hand on Cass's shoulder. Don't ever change, Cass. Cass tilted his head to the side. Are you making fun of me, Dean? Dean shook his head. Not even a little bit. Gabriel has told me repeatedly that I need to improve my social skills. Gabriel's an idiot, Cass. I think you're awesome, okay? Cass's face broke out in a huge smile. I appreciate that, Dean. And I, uh, I appreciate what you said to your mother. About us being good friends. He used the finger quotes again. Dean let his hand slide down Cass's arm. Well, it's true, he said, feeling his throat tighten around the words as they turned to little butterflies in the back of his throat. We are friends, right? I mean, I've spent more time talking to you in the last month than I've spent talking to anyone else in the past year, outside of maybe the people I work with. Can't really avoid talking to them, though. He laughed nervously, letting his hand drop from Cass's elbow. Cass looked relieved and nodded. I always enjoy our conversations, Dean. I do enjoy spending time with you. Yeah, same here, Dean replied, feeling a little bolder now. And just for the record, no matter what, I'm happy to be your excuse to get out of a difficult situation. My family would understand, too. Like Sammy keeps reminding me today, we're all grown-ups here. Thank you, Dean, Cass replied after a few more entirely comfortable moments in the quiet hall. Dean had forgotten he was still holding half his sandwich in his hand, just enjoying standing there smiling like a dope at Cass. Their staring match was only interrupted when a rather frantic patience came skidding around the corner with an exclamation of relief. There you are! Jody's been looking everywhere for both of you. Round two is ready to go as soon as Dean's ready. She froze, realizing she may have interrupted them, but Cass smiled at her and nodded. We're on our way. Patience looked uncertain for a moment, but slowly backtracked the way she'd come. 
Well, I guess you're in the clear with Meg for now, Dean said. I don't know what gave her the impression that I was interested in her advances, but I didn't know how else to inform her without overstepping professional lines. I'm sure it's fine, Cass. Some people just see something they want and get a little pushy in the pursuit. Cass stopped walking and frowned at Dean. You're not pushy, he said, tasting the word like it didn't entirely express what he wanted to say. Dean laughed, but it wasn't a happy sound. I guess I know where the professional line is and try to stay on my side of it. Aside from a little hum of consideration, Cass was quiet the rest of the way back to the studio. For the first time all day, Dean was hit with one of his unsettling pangs of longing, the phantom feeling clawing into his chest and leaving him on the verge of gasping for air. He'd nearly forgotten about the attacks, maybe because he'd been so busy worrying about his family and Cass all morning, but that only seemed to add to the severity of the current bout. This one felt worse in a new way, too. In addition to the paralyzing bursts of feelings, a sudden pain shot through his head. It was gone almost as quickly as he'd felt it, but it left his vision blurry for a split second as he blinked away the pain. He could have sworn in that tiny fraction of a second, as Cass walked through the doors ahead of him, that he'd seen two huge broken wings sprouting from Cass's back. He rubbed his eyes and took a deep breath before plowing through the door, glancing over at Cass to make sure it had just been a trick of the light, and then walked determinedly back on set. Meg and Gabriel were already in their places when Dean joined them by the round two cupboard for the big reveal. After Gabriel's brief introduction, Meg flung open the doors to reveal a cake that looked more like a school science fair project than anything Dean would consider eating. It was a tropical island volcano, complete with smoke billowing from the crater on top when Meg poured some sort of liquid over it. Probably a vacation destination you'd want to avoid, but hopefully it'll be a cake that will have us asking for seconds. You have 10,800 of them, beginning right now, Gabriel said, and when nobody moved, he clarified, You now have 10,743 seconds to recreate Vesuvius here. That's three hours for the mathematically challenged. They wiped the looks of bewildered dismay off their faces and ran off to their workstations to get baking. Over the next three hours, more alcohol was consumed by both the judges and the contestants. After the one-hour mark, Gabriel even started mixing drinks for Cass. Meg seemed to have finally gotten the point that Cass wasn't interested, but that hadn't done anything to quell his discomfort while she was still in the room. Dean was at least grateful that Gabriel had mixed his cousin up something he called a woo-woo with vodka and peach schnapps, and restrained himself from foisting off one of his dubious cocktail experiments on Cass. When Gabe returned from delivering Cass's second drink, he gave Dean a grim, conspiratorial little nod. That one gesture completely endeared him to Dean. So they were both on Team Save Cass. It was a strange little bonding moment in the midst of the baking chaos. When Jody finally called time on the challenge and they took their final break before judging and crowning the winner, Dean had stopped drinking more than an hour earlier. He went over to meet Cass at the coffee pot, knowing he'd have less than an hour to sober up enough to drive home, and it looked like Cass had the same idea. You feeling better now, Cass? Yes, thank you, Dean. I, uh, was going to ask the family if they wanted to go out for pizza when we were done here. He started awkwardly. I thought you might want to come with. I mean, I haven't even asked them yet, but you're welcome to join us. Cass smiled at him again, looking far more relaxed than he had all day. I think I'd like that. Great, Dean said, downing the rest of his coffee and backing away slowly. It's a date then, or whatever he added, tripping up the little riser from the studio floor to the set floor, and turning around before he crashed into any expensive TV equipment. Sam, Mary, and Bobby stood beside the carts, where their respective cakes waited to be revealed, and Gabriel thanked all of them for being such good sports. He even apologized to Dean for trying to surprise him with his own family. 
Dean accepted it, but absolutely did not trust the mischievous look in Gabriel's eye, and wondered what he was already plotting to torment him with for the next episode. Whatever it was, it couldn't be worse than springing his family members on him, right? Dean shoved that thought aside as Sam uncovered his masterpiece, dramatically pouring a cup of water into the crater over a block of dry ice as fog billowed out of the lopsided volcano. It looks like it's already erupted, Meg said, pointing out how a stable base of Rice Krispie treats could have better supported the overall structure. I'd never thought of a cake as architecture before, Sam replied, frowning as one side of the volcano shifted even further out of alignment. You've got a very realistic eruption effect happening, at least, Dean added. Sam cut a slice out of the uncollapsed half, and everyone agreed it tasted pretty good for a major natural disaster. Then it was Mary's turn. She forwent the dry ice fog in favor of a handful of sparklers wedged down into the crater. She lit them, and half the people in the studio let out a little simultaneous ooh at the pyrotechnical display. Like Sam, Bobby also went for the fog, but at least his volcano held together. Both their cakes rated well on the taste testing, too. Well, this is going to be a tough choice, Gabriel said, leaning back in his chair and considering the three cakes in front of him. Especially since Dino here doesn't get a full vote. Meg and Gabriel conferred for a moment, and then declared Mary the winner for her outside-the-box thinking with the sparklers. Meg didn't immediately fire off the money gun, so Gabriel seized his chance to shower the entire studio with cash as the closing theme music played. As usual, as soon as Jody called cut, Cass corralled the three bakers and set about explaining all the release paperwork. Dean hung around, waiting for them all to finish to ask about going out for dinner. He was leaning against the wall out of the way, surreptitiously watching Mary sign form after form when Meg came over and stood herself right in front of him. Congrats, Dino. You've got a great family there, she said, casting a wistful glance over at Sam, Mary, and Bobby, just as Cass laughed out loud at something Sam said that Dean couldn't make out at that distance. Dean was pretty sure she'd been including Cass when she'd mentioned his family, and for once, he allowed himself to admit it and accept it. Yeah, I do. Meg didn't say anything else, just watched as Cass said something that had all three of them laughing, before strolling out of the studio without even saying goodbye. When Cass began collecting up the paperwork, Dean knew this was his cue. He walked over and congratulated Mary with a hug, shook Bobby's hand, and gave Sam a thump on the back. None of them were able to make it for dinner that night, but Mary promised they'd schedule something for the weekend after filming was done. I was planning for a party next Saturday night anyway, to celebrate your inevitable rise to stardom, she said. I may or may not have already ordered a cake from this nice little bakery you may have heard of. Dean rolled his eyes. Great, so I have to bake my own congratulatory cake. At least you know it'll be great, Mary argued. She also might have invited your whole staff down at the bakery, and a half the crew on set here, Bobby added with a grin. And Cass, too, Sam said. He hasn't given his RSVP yet, but we expect you to be there. Cass nodded happily. I'll need to make sure I'm free, but I'll let Dean know as soon as possible. Dean's family left after another round of hugs that also included Cass, and suddenly they were alone again. Dean decided he was too hungry and tired to beat around the bush, so he just came right out and said it. Can you believe they turned down pizza? Sometimes I wonder how I'm even related to them. He started and then sighed. We're still on, though, right? That sounds good, Dean, Cass said, looking more relieved than Dean figured was warranted if it had just been about grabbing dinner. Where would you like to go? If I didn't have to be up at five to open the bakery in the morning, I'd suggest going back to my place and making you the best pizza you ever had. But it's kind of late to start bread rising. Cass covered a flash of surprise at the suggestion with a look of honest disappointment. While that does sound tempting, I understand. There's a shop a few blocks from here that the staff regularly orders from that's pretty good, though. Well, if you're up for that, I'm game, Dean replied. They agreed to walk since it was a pleasant evening, but still ended up staying out later than Dean normally would on a work night. There was just something about hanging out with Cass that made it all too easy to lose track of time. By the time they returned to their cars in the otherwise empty studio lot, it was well past nine. 
Dean reluctantly wished Cass a good night, feeling a little down that he wouldn't have a reasonable excuse to see him again for nearly a week. Dean spent the entire drive home chewing over his relationship with Cass, feeling a bit bereft. He normally loved the grind of his work at the bakery, even in peak wedding season, and felt out of sorts on his off days without anything to do. For maybe the first time in recent memory, he was actually regretting the full week of baking ahead of him. That strange melancholy stuck to him, even through his shower and an episode of GBBO he'd turned on to help take his mind off Cass. It clung to him as he crawled into bed, knowing he'd be useless if he didn't get at least four hours of sleep, and lingered into his dreams. can't be beat my sugar's the sweetest around i'm a man's ideal of the perfect meal right down to the damn test i'm a pot of joy for a hungry boy baby i'm cooking with gas oh i'm a gumdrop a sweet lollipop a brook trout right out of the brook magazine covers some girls keep house on a dime some girls make wonderful lovers but what a lucky find I'm I'd make a magazine cover I do keep house on a dime I'd make a wonderful lover I should be paid overtime cause I can bake too on top of the Chickens just do my gravy will lose you your mind. I'm a brand new note on the tablet, don't but just try me all with a single course. You could choke a horse, baby. You won't know where to start. Oh, I'm an hors d'oeuvre, a jelly preserve, not in the Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.